Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service time, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah, chapter 9. One of those Old Testament prophetic scriptures about the Messiah. We're going to take one phrase out of this incredible statement by Isaiah. In verse 6, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This passage of Scripture is Isaiah's looking ahead at the reality of the birth of the Messiah. And I just want to take one phrase out of this passage because When we think about Christmas, it's all about Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Isaiah's description, the names that he's given Jesus Christ. If you look with me at verse 6 there, it's listed. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to look at those four names given to Jesus, looking at just two of them this morning. So let's look at the, the beginning. As Isaiah unfolds this truth that a son is going to be born, a child will be born, He's going to rule over God's people. He's going to sit on David's throne and rule forever and ever with peace and justice. And then these these four key names. So the first one, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. Isn't it great that God's word says about the Lord Jesus that he is a wonderful counselor? Well, I want us to look at several statements about that. First of all, his attributes. As a counselor, he is wonderful. So what does it mean, his, the, the attributes of Christ? In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says, verse 3, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. So I just want to take that phrase, that, that great description in Colossians of the Lord Jesus Christ, his attributes. First of all, he is full of wisdom. He is full of wisdom. James 3 says he has all the wisdom that is from above. And then Paul says in Colossians, he is full of wisdom. You want to know what counselor you can go to who has all the answers? Christ Jesus. The Bible says of him, he is the counselor who knows it all, full of wisdom. And then secondly, he is full of knowledge. So all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Isn't that great? Somebody said this morning, they were going to ask me something, said the pastor has all the answers. No, he doesn't, but he knows the answer. You'll get that one in a minute. He is the answer. All wisdom, all knowledge rests in him. And listen, that that means we can trust him. We talk about the attributes of a person. It's his character. It's who he is. He is all wisdom and all knowledge. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but you can trust him. I love watching college basketball. That's the only basketball I really enjoy that much. And as you get down to the final four, I just love that time. And, and to watch the coaches navigate those games where it's, it's close all the way up to two minutes. And we learned as kids that two minutes left doesn't mean anything, does it? 
The game's almost over. Oh, no, it isn't. Timeout after timeout after timeout. And those coaches call a timeout, and they, they get the guys in the, and they huddle up there on the bench, and they might get out their sheet and talk about a play. They'll talk about their strategy. And everything stops while the coach prepares what he's going to tell them to do. And as I thought about that coach, the way he calls timeout, I thought that's what God does in our life. Sometimes he calls a timeout, and we just stand around and trust him. I've heard about some basketball teams where the player debated with the coach, and the coach benched him. What do the players do at that moment when the coach says timeout? They wait for their assignment. What's next, coach? God says, his word says of, of the Lord Jesus that he is a wonderful counselor, full of wisdom and knowledge. When he calls timeout, we're just to wait on his instructions for the next step. I love that about him. Secondly, what about his appeal as a wonderful counselor? As this wonderful counselor, the Bible says here in these, the, this passage that there's going to be this, this dominion that will be vast. It will be vast and his prosperity will never end. I love that. It means he's drawing people to himself. I just want to make three statements about the way he draws people. First of all, he draws people wherever they are. Wherever they are. In Matthew chapter 11, the words are recorded where Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's calling people to himself. He draws people wherever they are. Isaiah wrote in chapter 55, Come, those who are thirsty, come to me. He draws people to himself wherever they are in their place in life. I love Kevin Miller shared a, a story. He's a vice president of Christianity today. And as a kid, he, he's sharing his testimony, but he, he says as a kid... He can remember singing the Santa Claus song. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? What's the next line? He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And he said as a little boy, he suddenly realized that this all-knowing, all-seeing Santa Claus was watching him. And he better straighten up or he wouldn't get anything for Christmas. Then Miller goes on to share his story. He learned it wasn't about an all-knowing, all-powerful Santa Claus. It was about a sovereign God who knows all, who sees all. He calls us to this place of accountability. Folks, God, God calls little children to himself. I've led children to Christ. I've helped parents lead children to Christ. I've watched children lead children to Christ. And I've watched people in their 80s and 90s come to Christ. Wherever you are in that range, he calls you. He draws you. Secondly, he draws people whoever they are. Not just wherever they are, but, but whoever they are. Jesus said in John 12, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. John chapter 4, he said, Whoever drinks from the water that I give, it's, he's, it's Jesus is sharing about himself, you will never thirst again. He draws people whoever they are. Folks, it's universal. Christ Jesus is drawing people to himself. I talked with my son this week, and he was talking to a friend, and, and this friend said, well, it's okay for you to believe that Jesus is the way to heaven and for me to believe that Jesus is the way to heaven, but that's not the way for everybody. And my son said, oh, not so. If Jesus is the way to heaven, he's the only way to heaven. See, there's where the line is drawn. You, you can't just say, other people are being drawn other ways. The Bible says that Jesus is drawing everyone, whoever they are. 
I was reading about the peacetime draft when it was started, and Franklin Roosevelt met with the Secretary of War in the early 19, like 1940, I believe. And they, they determined it was the first peacetime draft, so they're going to draw these number, a number from a hat, and they drew out number 158. And when they drew, drew out that number and announced it, a lady in the crowd where they had gathered screamed and almost passed out and, because she said, that's my son's number. He's getting called up. Like 6,000 people at that time had that number 158. It just was underscoring to me the fact that, that everybody's in, the, in that draft, everybody was open to be drafted. Everyone is open to be called by the Savior. It doesn't matter who they are. And, and lastly, Jesus draws people whatever they are. Whatever they are. The Bible says in Romans 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is rich to all who believe, who call on Him. See, He draws us and then we call on Him. Wherever, whatever, whoever, He draws people to Himself. I was sharing with my son, I think I've shared this here before, when he was in uh, India, I believe it was India, uh, attending a church service, a man came in the church service and the pastor told him about this man who was there and he was the town bully. Uh, he not only was the town bully, that people in town had known that this man had murdered people, he beat people up, he was abusive to his wife, a terrible man, but there he was standing in this little church in India helping lead worship. And the pastor said, that man right there, everybody was afraid of him. Everybody. They led him to Christ, his life was changed. See, wherever they are, whatever they are, whoever they are, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can save you. Say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but Jesus does. We just read that, didn't we? And he loves you still. That's grace, folks. That's his appeal. What about his ability as a counselor? His ability as a counselor. First of all, he knows us. Look with me. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 17, right after Isaiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. That's not it. There it is. Verse 9. The heart is deceitful, more deceitful than anything else, and incurable. Who can understand it? That's a question, isn't it? And God answers that question. He says, I, Yahweh, the Lord... Examine the mind, I test the heart, I give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. So here's the question. Jeremiah writes this word, who can understand the heart? God can. He knows us. Look at Psalm 139. Talk about a description of God understanding and God knowing. The first few verses of Psalm 139. Listen to what David wrote. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest and you are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It's, I, it is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. My, my paraphrase of David's statement there in verse 6 is, is I can't wrap my brain around the fact that God knows everything about me. He still loves me. He knows us. 
It's his ability as a counselor. Wouldn't it be great to go to a counselor who knew everything about you? Some of you say, well, I don't think so. But if he knows all about you as your creator, then he can meet your needs, which is the next point there. He meets our needs. As a counselor, he knows us. As a counselor, he meets our needs. I think about Nicodemus who went to Jesus, went to him at night, struggling to put together this truth about a Messiah and how it fit with his religious understanding of the Messiah to come. And and he's struggling with that. And, And there, with all of his questions, Jesus cuts right to the heart and says, you must be born again. Don't be amazed. You need to be born again. That's where you are. It's not all about this theological debate. Then the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she's there and Jesus comes to her and the Samaritan woman who is, is a, an immoral woman, an immoral lifestyle, and Jesus speaks to her heart. He knows her heart and he meets her right where she is and she, she trusts Christ and she goes home and shares with her family. says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He told her, I've got a drink that you can drink of and you'll never thirst again. Then the crippled man in John chapter 5 where Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly he got up and he walked. He met the counselor. The counselor diagnosed his need. The counselor met his need. What a wonderful counselor he is. He is able, folks, to meet your needs. The wonderful counselor, full of wisdom and knowledge, drawing people to himself, meeting needs, and changing lives. Let's look at the next name in Isaiah 9. First of all, the wonderful counselor. Secondly, mighty God. He is the mighty God. Now, you might think you wouldn't need to write this down, but you need to write this down. Number one, Jesus Christ is God. There's a lot of teaching out there that says he was part God. There's a lot of teaching out there that says he was God when he was in heaven, and he was God when he walked on the earth, and then he laid aside God and he was died on the cross, and then he picked up the godness when he was resurrected. Folks, that, that's, the Bible teaches that he was fully God and fully man. He was God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you wonder who the Word is, you just read on to verse 14. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is God. I love Art Linkletter. used to watch his stuff when I was a kid. He used to get kids together and ask them all kinds of questions. And he had, had some kids in a room, and this little boy's drawing a picture, and, and he says, uh, what are you drawing a picture of? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And Art, very wisely, says, well, no one knows what God looks like. The little boy said, they will when I get through. See, that, that God in the flesh... Emmanuel, God with us. That is Jesus Christ saying, this is what God looks like. You want to know what God is? I'll demonstrate it. I will come and live in the form of a man so that you can behold my glory face to face. Henry Garape in Portraits of Christ says this, many have tried to escape the force of this declaration, the declaration that he is God. However, Scripture, history, and human experience corroborate its sacred and sublime truth. You cannot escape the fact that Jesus is God. Folks, if he isn't God, I love what Josh McDowell said, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. 
He either is who he said he was, or he was lying to us, or he was crazy. You look at the evidence. He is Lord. He is God. Secondly, when we talk about him being the mighty God, Christ Jesus is mighty as creator and sustainer. He is mighty as creator and sustainer. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. This great, incredible statement about Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The, the picture, the observable image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. I'm just going to stop right there. There's so much there, but just to highlight a couple of things that Paul says about the mighty God as creator. First of all, he exists above and before creation. Look at verse 15. He is firstborn over creation, above creation, and he is before all things. Above and before creation. And then secondly, he created all things. Verse 16. For everything was created by him. I love that. Again, Henry Grippe says this. Before he ever came to earth, his hands tumbled solar systems and galaxies into space. He set the stars on their course. He kindled the fires of the sun. He scooped out the giant beds of our mighty oceans. And then, this is Kevin's adding this. And then he came and lived in a manger. A humble beginning. Blows my mind. Sovereign, creator, and sustainer of all things. Back in the 1940s, a Catholic author and publisher, Frank Sheed, was sharing with a, with a group, probably a college setting, I'm not sure, about the sovereignty of God and the created order. And he was the more he talked about the wonder of God's creation, there was a heckler in the audience that kept challenging him at everything he said. And finally, somewhere in the talk, that heckler finally said, oh, he just shouted out, I can make a better universe than God ever could. And so Frank wisely says, well, I'll tell you what, I won't ask you to make a universe, but would you make a rabbit just so we could establish confidence here? See, people talk these big, grandiose things, but okay, if you're that, could you just at least make a rabbit? I'll take it down a notch or two. If somebody says they could do what God can do, can you make a gnat? Can you create a gnat out of nothing? He created all things. And then I love this letter. See, all things exist for him. Look at verse 16. All things exist for him. Very, at the very last part of verse 16, they have been created through him. He's creator. And for him. That means that for him means they submit to him. All things are created to submit to the creator. But what implication does that have for us? If the world, the universe, was created in submission to him, what does that have to say to us? Mankind is to submit. What does that have to say to us who are Christ followers? As mighty creator, you exist for him. Kind of puts away the myth that it's all about me, doesn't it? Well, what would happen if we had a church made up of people who knew that we exist all for Him, to submit to Him? It's not about our plans and our desires and our agenda and our whatever. It's all about submission to Him. I love the story. I've shared it before of the naval vessel. It's, 
in the darkness and a light seems to be approaching. And so the, the vessel wires out to that light, alter your course 10 degrees south. And it gets a reply back that says, no, you alter your course 10 degrees north. And then again, he wires back, alter your course 10 degrees south, I'm a captain. And then gets a wire back from this light that's coming to him, you alter your course, I'm a seaman third class. So finally, the captain's had enough. He says, alter your course 10 degrees south, I'm a captain, and this is a battleship. And he gets a reply back, you alter your course 10 degrees north, I am seaman third class, and this is a lighthouse. How many of us live that way where we say we're submitting to the Lordship of Christ yet we're trying to get him to alter something that's immovable? God, would you, would you just change things on your agenda to, to meet me halfway? All things are created to submit to him. And then lastly, he holds all things together. Verse 17, so clear. Before him were all things He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. The Bible says that Christ Jesus is the creative superglue that holds everything together. I don't know, I've I've thought about this, especially when I was a new Christian. What is it like that Jesus holds it all together? What would happen if he decided not to hold it together anymore? The world would be chaos. We can trust him. Well, he's mighty God as creator and sustainer. Christ Jesus is mighty God as redeemer. As redeemer. Let's make some statements about that. By his might, he became man. Again, I mentioned John 1.14 a minute ago. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. By his might, he became man. So that we could behold His glory. The glory is of the one and only, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus is the manifestation, is the the incarnation of of God. God in the flesh. So that we could behold His glory. He became man so that that would be evident and obvious to us. There's a new Jurassic Park coming out, or it's already out. and I, I, I haven't seen it or know much about it, but I remember the original. And that paleontologist who was world renowned, his name was Alan Grant, he'd studied everything. He studied all the fossils. He knew all the everything there was to know about dinosaurs. And then one day he finds himself facing a living, breathing, snorting dinosaur. And he just falls down. He's overwhelmed. And and someone commented on that, said it's one thing to know all about the fossils and to know all about dinosaurs. It's another thing to be standing in front of a living, breathing dinosaur. See, it's one thing to know all about God, to even have all the answers from Sunday school about who He is and what He did, but it's another thing to come face to face with the living God. Folks, that's what Jesus did. He, he didn't just say, I love you. God didn't just say, I love you. He came in the person of Jesus Christ so they could see Him face to face. And now, through the pages of Scripture, we encounter Him the same way. He became man. By his might, letter B, he lived a sinless life. So many passages of Scripture. First Peter 2 says he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. A sinless life so he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Boy, there's a sermon. There's a theological dissertation. There's a lifetime of exploring that truth. He who knew no sin, sinless, became sin, took on our sin so that we could take on his righteousness. Wow. Let her see, by his might he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. The Bible says in Mark 1, as he's teaching the scribes and the people, his teaching to them was as one as having authority. He spoke. People listened. With authority. We've got a little dog at home. We've trained him. And one of the things we learned training our dog was that when you speak, you're supposed to be calm and assertive. We're not always calm. We're usually pretty assertive, but calm, assertive. You know, you know how you can be calm, assertive? You speak, and the animal knows you're in control. I have to holler at him. Stop it. Say, stop. Now, how do you get a dog to do that? You get that dog to understand you're the boss. Can I say it another way? You're the master. Can I say it another way? You're the Lord over that dog. Jesus, because of who he is, speaks with authority. It's who he is. Letter D, by his might, he worked miracles. He worked miracles. So many examples in the New Testament of that. Letter E, by his might, these last, these last three points, don't miss these, because this is, this is where it all comes home. By his might, he died willingly. He died willingly. Look at John chapter 10, verse 17 with me. By the way, you have all these scripture uh, references in your outline, I believe. John 10, verse 17. Jesus speaking, this is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it back up again. I received this command from my Father. Listen, it is by his might that he surrendered his life at the cross. Read Philippians chapter 2, where the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. You say, well, Jesus died on a cross because the Roman government overpowered him. Jesus died on a cross because the religious leaders outmanipulated him. No, no, no. He died on a cross because the Bible says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. By his might and his power, he came, he lived, and he died. Do you see that? It wasn't because he was weak that he was able to give his life. It was because of, of his might that he died willingly. I just finished reading one of the Abraham Lincoln biographies. It took me a long time to get through this one. Man, what, a, what an incredible life. What a, I was never so, I, I didn't understand how much he went through physically, emotionally, as he went into those days of the Civil War. And it became his passion in that war to, to abolish slavery. And he literally gave his physical health, and then ultimately someone killed him because of that. He gave his life. And as they took his casket, his body, and they paraded it through the, through the different cities back east so people could pay their respects. There was a former slave who had been liberated. And she took her son and she lifted him up so he could see the casket. And this is what she said. She said, son, take a good look. That's the man who died for you. Folks, take a good look 
the man who died for us didn't just die to liberate us from an earthly slavery. He died to liberate us from the bondage of sin. By his might, he died. By his might, he died willingly. By his might, he rose from the grave. Rose from the dead. Romans chapter 1 says this, that, that it has been declared, he has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection of the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. I love that. The declaration that he's mighty God didn't just take place at the incarnation, didn't just take place at the crucifixion. The resurrection is this demonstration. Again, Jesus says it here in John 10. I laid it down so I could take it up again. Be raised from the dead. That, that establishes his authority. For everyone. Sam Bronfman was the CEO of Seagram. He walked into a crowded conference room one time and he was anxious to get the meeting started so he just sat down at the first chair available around the conference table. And a, a junior executive noticed that and said, said Mr. Bronfman, you're, you're supposed to sit at the head of the table. And he said, young man, any chair I sit in is the head of the table. Can I say this to you? Any chair that the Lord Jesus sits in is the head of the table. It doesn't matter what what part of your life, and I encourage you not to do this, but some of us compartmentalize our life. We have our job, and we have our family, and we have our church life, and we have our hobbies, and we have our, our, our downtime and all that stuff. I don't encourage you to do that, but if you've done that, he's sitting on the board. He's, he's sitting at the head of the table at every one of those areas. I, my, what I advocate is you just say, Lord, my life is yours. I don't compartmentalize it. You're sitting at the head table right now, no matter where you are. No matter what decision, no matter what circumstance, no matter what's going on in your life, He is Lord. By His might, He establishes that through the resurrection. And letter G, the last point, by His might, He saves us. Wow. By His might, He saves us. Remember the story where Jesus raised a paralytic and, and he said, get up, take your mat and go. And the Pharisees and disciples questioned it. He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm saying to the paralytic, get up and walk. He has authority to forgive sin by his might. He saves us. Folks, talk about an assignment with eternity written all over it. Talk about an assignment that will only be accomplished by the mighty God. Salvation. I mentioned earlier, he worked miracles and I, I didn't spend much time on that truth, but I believe really and truly the greatest miracle is the miracle of the new birth. To take a lost, rebellious, self-centered person dying in their sin and by grace say, I will take that sin from you. I will, I will pay the price for that sin so that you can go to heaven and spend eternity with me. That's a miracle, folks. And that God could take a life and change it. Transform it. Or we're, we're living for ourselves and then through Christ He changes us and we begin to live for His glory. By His might. He's a wonderful counselor. You can trust Him because He knows you. He meets your needs. He's the mighty God. He is all powerful. He saved you. You can trust Him. Gordon MacDonald was speaking at a conference. A Nigerian woman walked up to him. She was a doctor in the, in the States, and uh, they began to talk, and he asked her what her Nigerian name was. And 
she rattled off this long multi-syllable name. And he couldn't repeat it, but he said, man, that's an interesting name. He said, tell me how you got that name. What does it mean? She says, it means, means child who takes away the anger. He said, well, I really want to know now how you got that name. She said, when my parents first wanted to get married, their parents forbid them to marry. He said, you cannot marry each other. So this couple went away, and they got married anyway. And when they did, the parents disowned them, both sides of the family. And years went by, and there was animosity between the family and this couple. And then this doctor was born. This little girl was born. And one of the grandparents held her. And suddenly, all of the hatred and anger and animosity just dissolved. And she said, so my dad named me. Child takes away the anger. Folks, this, this Bible tells us about the child who took away the wrath of God because he took it on himself at the cross. Mighty God, wonderful counselor. If you haven't trusted him, you need to.